You come up and get the volume a little louder. Was that good? You know, I would do that during summer at Great Escape Camp, and the kindergarten kids just thought I was magic. <laughs> and I'd say, all right, now you need to turn your volume down. And they'd come up afterwards and they said, mine doesn't work. <laughs> Sorry, I'm warping these children. It's good to be together. I'm praying that this moment can be a respite of refreshment. Even where there's challenge, and even where there's sadness, a respite of refreshment because the Holy Spirit dwells in the midst of his people to work the hope of the gospel deep within us. The call to worship this morning is taken from Psalm 46. I love these responsive readings, so I'll begin. You respond. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Come, thou almighty King. It's hymn number 492. Let's stand and sing, give praise to him as you're able. Amen and amen. Have a seat if you would, please. I extend greetings and welcome. Those of you who are here in the sanctuary, we gather uh, one heart, one voice to worship God. I'm thankful too as well for those who are either online by live stream or by recording for letting us and the presence of God here join you right where you are. Uh, in a marvelous way, the Holy Spirit brings us together. And so I welcome you. And as I've begun to say more and more often, I scan 
the presence and look into the live stream uh, and consider you the answer to the prayers that I prayed this week. Father, bring those who need this moment. So we're here and together, and I want to take just a vision casting moment and talk about how that prayer works its way out. You know, we've got some new things we're anxious to start and some things we need to figure out here as celebration as our ministry uh, continues to extend. And there are outside resources that we'll learn and support and get those kind of things. And there's staff to help organize and train and support. But increasingly, the real answer to what God is calling us to do is found right here with God's people. The Holy Spirit gifting, leading, and working through God's people. You can be that friendly face. You can be the inviter. You can be the one who helps get things organized, whatever it is. More and more, I'm seeing the value and the joy of God at work through us as people. So turn to the person next to you and just smile and say, he might be talking about you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not you I'm talking about, it's them. So <laughs> how that works. Um, today, we'll be, let's see, we've got coffee fellowship planned afterwards, a great time to linger, connect with folks. I'll be meeting from about 1030 uh, with people for our post, I guess it's 1015, our post celebration question and answer. I love to interact with folks as you have questions or wondering or ideas, let's plan to do that. Thinking ahead to next week, it's a holiday, um, and I've asked Pastor Mary DeWitt if she could come and uh, preach. She's going to be a part of leading the service, so Mary will be here. I'm glad for us to reconnect with her. And so you're aware, it turns out that Watershed needed a, a, a bass player. So I'm going to be there to play bass and preach. Get a, they get a twofer in one day. So I'll be a part of that. I love the way we're able to kind of share around as a larger community. A um, couple quick slides. One, we are just, about, applications are due to go to Ireland for a serve and learn with uh, Luke Carrig and the ministry there that we support. Also, if you'd like to walk somewhere, the family backpacking trip, uh, Pastor Darwin will be leading on the Appalachian Trail. A great time to hike but also in that context to begin to reflect on spiritual questions and, and life. So he's got great plans with that. And then if you will uh, text the word connect to this number, uh, you'll get a link that lets you uh, give us your email address, uh, whatever request a call or a prayer, let us connect with you in that way. So I'm glad to make um, that available to folks. The faith that I try to proclaim clearly and compellingly each week is not my idea to dream up. It's a, a glorious inheritance that's been passed to me. And one way I love to touch that previous expression is the use of the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, we're looking at question 61. Uh, I'll ask and you respond. Why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith, it is because only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness make me righteous before God. And because I can accept this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than through faith. 
Hymn number 324 is O for a Closer Walk with God. As you're able, let's stand and sing together. Thank you. Have a seat if you would, please. Now, some of you know these folks as Bob and Mary Ann's kids, but they have an identity all their own. And I've asked them while they're here this weekend to share with us some about your work with Africa Inland Mission and things that you have here for us. Thanks, Pastor Bill. <clears throat> good. You all hear me okay? Good. It is such a blessing to be back here at Hardaway. Again, we've come through a tricky season of COVID, and uh, we're all trying to figure out is this post-COVID and what does it look like? But uh, we happen to be coming through for the weekend and really didn't want to miss an opportunity to just uh, give you all an update on Keith and Debbie. And uh, on, a, on a bigger scale, kind of give you a quick update on just where we all in this thing called global missions. Good. Um, it's an interesting time we live in. You don't have to turn the news on very long before you recognize all the weirdness and strangeness going on. Debbie and I, it's hard to believe, we have now a combined more than 80 years living and working and ministering in and around Africa. I don't know when we became the old guys, but um, it somehow it happens if you do this long enough. <clears throat> right now, on the broad picture, let me just help you all understand what's going on globally, and especially with missions in the church, and then we'll kind of unpack our part in that for the past four decades uh, for some of you guys that uh, don't know us and need a bit of a reminder. Right now it's 2022 and we're actually celebrating what is a sea change in global missions. For almost 200 years, 160 to 180 years, we've actually been in an age kind of called the age of modern missions. And what that has really meant is because of colonialism and the way 
things have gone on through the 1800s and 1900s, most of the world, a big part of the world, were colonies of European powers, and because of that, they welcomed missionaries. So for many decades, 17, 18 decades, 180 years, people were able to go to countries on a mission visa, a church worker's visa. They were welcomed. They did church planting, they did education, they did medicine, and were celebrating. Much of the world that was totally unreached 100 years ago, 150 years ago, are now churched and even sending missionaries globally. We're coming out of a season that we, we kind of called the West to the rest, to now we're celebrating almost every team we work with has missionaries on it from Brazil, from Korea, from Taiwan, from Ethiopia, from black Africa. It's an amazing time we're living in. So we're celebrating <clears throat> where that paradigm has brought us, except that paradigm is largely used up. Most of the places that the world can go to on a mission visa already has church, praise the Lord. That's a celebration. Now, what does that mean? About 90% of the world's remaining unreached people, and that's people groups, tribes, <clears throat> that don't have a church. They don't have a lot of believers and they don't have enough church to evangelize themselves. 90 plus percent of the world's remaining unreached are living in countries that you may not enter on a, as, on a mission visa. They do not welcome you as missionaries. They're Muslim countries. They're Hindu countries, uh, some others. Now that, believe it or not, does not exempt us from the Great Commission. It just means that the paradigm that has served us so well is kind of used up. It still has some mileage in it. There's still unreached people in those parts of the world that we can go on a mission visa, but the majority, the vast majority, we now need to enter different ways. And we call those countries creative access nations, cans creative access nations because you need to be creative in new ways to find ways to get in. We, for the past 20 years, have been can openers. What we have done is tried to figure out if we can't get into these Muslim countries uh, as missionaries, how then can we get people in? So <clears throat> we might not be welcomed as missionaries, <clears throat> excuse me, but you know what? People are welcomed as ethical, moral, compassionate, Jesus-loving, Jesus-proclaiming medical professionals. Most of those places need medical professionals, doctors and lab techs and nurses and midwives. They still need educators. They might not let you in as a missionary, but if you're a Jesus-loving, serving university professor, lecturer, teacher, English teacher, you're welcome. More and more, we're finding the creative access world welcomes business. In a lot of the world, there is no such thing as an ethical, moral, biblical, compassionate business person. So when we find people that are willing to take their expertise business-wise and go start a kingdom company, that's poverty alleviation, that's job creation, and that's proclamation. And we never do business 
as something that gets us into a country and we have a little ministry sprinkled around the edges. We actually build kingdom businesses to have ministry from within. Workship, redeeming the workplace. Because when we can bring people into countries where missionaries aren't allowed, but they are allowed as ethical, moral, Jesus-loving business people, wonderful things happen. You have ministry in the workplace with your clients, your customers, your vendors, your employees, your drivers. And the really cool thing is you also have ministry in your home, in the parks, in the coffee shops, in the gyms, and it's life on life. So that's kind of who we are. Um, Debbie does actually hear and speak. <laughs> but I have too many words, so he does the concise stuff. <laughs> so I just, um, again, many times I've been up here in the past, and it was me and Debbie got to sit and stand up. But I thought, little show and tell, we'd actually let Debbie come up <laughs> front today. So <clears throat> what's our part in this, and what's your part in all of this? Debbie and I went to Africa as younger single people. We did not know each other born in Grand Rapids, born in Kalamazoo, and I have to find my beautiful blue-eyed Michigander running around northern Kenya. So we ended up working in Sudan together. We got married back in the mid-80s. We've got three kids, all born and raised uh, in East Africa. Mm -hmm. They love Hardawike, and Hardawike has been a big, big part of our lives. Over the years, um, we participated with celebration. There were seasons of life that when we were back in the States, we were at Fusion, and there were seasons of life when we were here that we were part of Watershed. We love this church, we love the congregations, and you have been a tremendous part of our lives. You've supported us, you've encouraged us, you've prayed for us, and during the time, the last 25 years, you have been a part of our lives. We have never done our work in Africa for us. There are three or four churches here in the States that have supported us in very special ways, and Hardawike is very close to the top of that list. So please recognize we are your hands, we are your feet, we are your lips in difficult parts of the world, and we represent Jesus, but we also represent Hardawike and are blessed by that. Debbie, what am I missing? Thanks for taking such great care of our parents. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to get to, for you to get to know and remember and see folks like Keith and Debbie. We're a part of what God wants to do all across the planet. I hope that's as exciting for you as it is for me. Let's turn to the Father and pray, shall we? Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the work you were doing in our hearts and then through us in our community. But we thank you that that good work extends towards every tribe and tongue and nation, some that would welcome missionaries, some that wouldn't. For you have loved all. We thank you for Keith and Debbie's ministry over these years, for the sea change in missions that is happening in our lifetime to um, move now to creative access with life on life ministry much like Paul did centuries ago. So we join your good work, and in this moment we pray that you would extend your gospel 
across the world. We pray for Fusion and Pastor JB as he preaches this day and for Pastor Aaron and Watershed. Thank you that as Heart Awake, we are a part of reflecting your creativity and diversity as well. Thank you for Pastor Florencio. We pray for him and as he preaches right where I'm standing in just a few hours in Spanish, extend your gospel grace. Father, as your people celebration, we have much to lift to you. We pray for those who are sick in our midst, from uh, medical treatment, for recovery, all that touches uh, their needs. I'm going to give you a moment as we pray as a congregation, silently lift up those medical needs that you know. There's so many right now. May our voices be a chorus of intercession for every person with uh, sickness and need. We pray for those who are grieving, Father, how that list has gotten even longer this week. We lift to you the names of people who have need now for a special touch of the Holy Comforter, the Lord Jesus Christ who pours out the Holy Spirit in comfort at loss. Be with people along that journey, O oh God. And Father, you teach us and call us to pray for those in authority over us. This week, our cycle is uh, focused on federal government, and so we pray for President Biden as he's in Asia, for Vice President Harris, for our senators, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, for the area representatives, Bill Heisinger, Peter Meyer, and Fred Upton, and for our Supreme Court Father, and for the justices there. Lord God, we thank you that stable government and rule of law are a blessing from your hand, and so we pray you'd use these broken human institutions and broken humans to extend shalom in the land that we might serve and love others in deep and good ways. Lord, we thank you that in this hard-pressed world, we look and see the brokenness, whether it's the invasion and death in Ukraine, whether it's gun violence in grocery stores and graduations, when it's anger and unforgiveness in relationships or sickness affecting those we love. We thank you that we can look clear-eyed at those things and not be overcome because of the hope you've given us in Christ, that there is coming one day a new heaven and a new earth, one not made by human hands or policies. There will be one day no more sickness or death, no more weeping or loss, when all that is sad now will become untrue, when all that others intended for evil will be turned upside down and somehow, somehow work to your glory and our benefit. Father, we choose in this moment once again to re-up for the kingdom of God, to live in that hope, to work towards that end with hope, to comfort and to stand and to pray and to work, and to live out the prayer that we'll pray in a moment, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Father. Hear us as with one voice and heart we pray, just as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. I want to take a moment before the sermon. I've got a special moment with our children, and I always leave that up to you determine who you are. But kids, come on down. If you can join me on the front row here, I'll have some special stuff. Yeah, come on up, Graham. we got everybody coming. Who can join me? Graham and Leo are the leaders this week. You know what I think I may start doing is a Reese's peanut butter cup for the first one every time. Would that be good? Okay. All right. It's just us guys today, isn't it? I think that's pretty good. I appreciate the affirmation. It's all cool. You know my favorite book of theology, the Jesus Storybook Bible, because it helps me, even after I had a long education, see Jesus is the point of every Bible story. So I'm going to read you from the Jesus Storybook Bible. This chapter is called The Beginning, A Perfect Home, and it's about how things started. In the beginning, there was nothing, nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see, only emptiness and darkness and nothing but mm, nothing. Imagine. But God was there, and God had a wonderful plan. I'll make this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make light. And out of everything, I'll make something out of nothing. I'm going to make everything. Like a mommy bird flutters her wings. You see this picture here over her eggs. To help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep, silent darkness. He was making life happen, and God spoke. That's all. And whatever he spoke happened. Here's kind of a picture you see of his plan. He's got a lot of things that he's going to bring to pass. God said, hello, light. And light shone into the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And he said, you're good. Can you say that with me? You're good. That's what God said to his creation. And they were. Then God said, hello, sea. Hello, sky. And a great space opened up, which wide and deep and high. And you know what God said to that wide, deep space? He said, can you say it with me? You're good. You're good. Yeah. Then God said, hello, land. And there, splashing up through the oceans, came cliffs and mountains and sandy beaches. I'm glad for them. And God saw them and he said together, you're good. That's how God saw his creation. They were. Hello, trees, God said. Hello, grass and flowers and everything everywhere burst into life. He made lands. He made buds bud and shoots shoot and flowers flower. You're good, God said. Whoa, this is like a picture from the Hubble spacecraft. Look at that. This is the utter end of things. Hello, stars, God said. Hello, sun. Hello, moon. And whizzing into the darkness came fiery globes, spinning round and round, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. You're good, God said. Neat pla planets, aren't they? 
Hello, birds, God said, and with a fluttering and flapping and chirping and singing, birds filled the skies. Hello, fish, God said, and with a darting and dashing and wriggling and splashing, fish filled the seas. Together? You're good, God said. He saw things, and they were. Then God said, hello, animals, and everyone came out to play. The earth was filled with noisy noises, growling and gobbling and snapping and snorting and happy skerfuffling. Have you ever seen the animals in your backyard kerfuffling? There they were. Yeah, you saw a deer. They'll skerfuffle. Careful. God saw that all he had made and he loved them. And they were lovely because he loved them. God saved the best for last from the beginning. God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children and the world would be their perfect home. I love how this says, they were lovely because he loved them. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. Can you imagine that? The first thing they saw was God. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. God loved them with all of his heart. And they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind in the trees, the wonderful song of love to the one who made them. Their hearts were filled with happiness and nothing ever made them sad or lonely or sick or afraid. God looked at everything he had made perfect, he said, and it was. But all the stars and the mountains and the oceans and the galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began. And you see that picture. So like we learned last time we read, the Bible is not just a, a book of rules, but it's a story of a God who rules and loves us. That's how he made you. It doesn't end there, but that's the foundation. Let me pray for you and I'll send you back. Father, thank you for your great love that you have began us in perfection and in hope as reflecting your great glory. Thank you that in Jesus, you've called us back to that and made the way open. Continue to teach us of your love that we might see it shape our lives and the lives of those we love. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you guys, just us guys. You can head back if you'd like. Okay, good. Our theme through the book of Colossians has been Jesus, because this book is focused on him. And in Jesus, we see an amazing mystery and glory of God. Look to Jesus, and that's what you see. Now, it struck me, and I'll take a moment here before I read. <clears throat> Last week in Colossians 3.8, Paul wrote to the church and to us, and he said, careful that no one enslaves you or takes you captive with hollow and deceptive philosophies. Remember that? 
Don't let your mind be captured. It'll change how you live and work. It's Colossians 3.8. Now, this week we've had a lot more public information than last week. And in the course of getting that, it's become very clear to me that one expression of this sort of hollow and deceptive philosophy in our own time, you know, we need to discern that. But one expression of this is what you would call the replacement theory that enslaved the mind and heart of 18-year-old Peyton Gendron and led finally to the death of 10 people who just wanted to go grocery shopping in Buffalo, New York. I want to tell you something. The origins of that hollow and deceptive philosophy can be seen across history. I trace back to the early 20th century. It was picked up early on by the Nazis and their ideology. It continued in post, uh, after the World War II, the French nationalist writers spoke of these same ideas. 1973, a French novel called The Camp of Saints. It continued and took on its current expression in 2011 with a book by Renaud Kemal called The Grand Replacement. And then it went viral across the dark corners of the internet to read Peyton's nearly 700-page diary, which is now public. And there's a, any number of thoughtful analyses. The best one of the many that I read was in the Wall Street Journal. But to read that is to watch a life taken captive across two years that led to this violence. Don't be taken captive by these philosophies and worldviews, Paul would say to the church in Colossae and to us. And we understand that because we believe that I am not my own, but I belong instead to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, not to the dark philosophies of this world, whatever form and shape they take. We live by a different light. Having said that and built on it, Paul now writes in um, chapter three, since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry, by the way, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, that place of being renewed, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that years ago you called the apostle, and as he was there in prison praying, he began to write under your inspiration, and this letter to the church in Colossae was sent to them and read into the church in Laodicea. And then after the earthquake, it was preserved, and now across centuries, it's been recognized because it's borne the fruit of your inspiration. Thank you that we can hold these texts, we can now translate them and study and meditate, ponder. But most of all, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will illumine to our hearts and minds all that you desire for us to know and to hear and to see. Guard us from my brokenness, lead us into your light, empower us to be your people. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. This passage begins with the word since. And if you dig into that, you'll see that it's a conditional adverb. What that means is that it introduces a condition that must occur or be met before another action can occur. Since something has to happen, then it can. We think of if then, this is a since then. The condition has been met is what the text tells us. And it's not met by my actions, it's met by God himself. One way that we see this message very clearly in this passage is with the verbs, the action verbs. Let me point something out. Verbs are always about who is doing the acting of the verb. There's passive verbs. Passives are when the action of the verb is being done to the subject. And they contrast with uh, passive verbs. I'm sorry, passive verbs where the action is done to the subject. Active verbs where the action is done to the object. So, clear this up. An active verb, I tickle you. A passive verb, I am tickled by you. What's interesting in this passage, Paul makes clear that the condition for what will follow has been met by Jesus, and he makes that clear through the use of passive verbs. Let me just read to you. Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised with Christ. What that means is that Christ has been raised and he is acting on you. You have been raised with Christ, not you raised yourself to Christ. Do you see the difference? Colossians 3, 3, for you died and your life is now hidden. Your life is hidden. But what do I do? Your life is hidden. You're acted upon. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear. Good news, you will appear. Oh, how? What do I do? No, no, no. He acts, you appear. These critically important passive verbs tell us what God has done and what that means for us. What that means is that if you forget or avoid or ignore or do not believe that Jesus has met the required condition, and if you simply go on to the active verbs in this passage, 
the actions that are required of you and me, if you forget those things which God has done and just go to the active verbs, you're left with something other than the gospel of God's grace. Something other than the gospel of God's grace. Paul will write about this in 2 Timothy 3.5. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Boy, what would that look like? Let's go on. They'll be without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. I'll go on. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the climax of this long list that Paul does. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. They'll pursue the active verbs without a life grounded in what God has done, the passive verbs. Do you see that? If you take away what God has done, you'll never do what Paul points to. Since it's a conditional adverb and at the cross, Jesus himself met the conditions to act upon us or on our behalf and we are raised to new life. Then we're able to live differently than we would if we had not had those conditions met by Jesus. We live our life with a new identity. And that's what this passage begins to move into very clearly. We live by new identity and it's marked here. This is a great sermon for middle school English teachers. It's marked by imperative verbs. There's a whole list of verbs here that are imperative and that means command. Now, it's good that you begin to understand the uniqueness of imperative verbs. I remember early on as a child that many times my parents would communicate an imperative to me as if it were a question. Bill, would you like to take out the trash? I knew what I needed to do. Paul writes in imperative verbs, God having done his part and acted upon us, we now see what that enables us to do. And I'll just read through some of these quickly, these imperative verbs. Colossians 3.1, since then, and here's the passive, you've been raised with Christ, he now commands us, set your hearts on things above. Love the things of God, not the things of the earth. Colossians 3.2, Paul says, as a command, set your minds on things above. So our hearts and our minds, because of what God has done on the cross and acted upon us, we are to act to set our hearts and minds on those things. Colossians 3.5, he says, put to death. Now this obviously is a metaphor, but it's a pretty strong metaphor, isn't it? Don't move it to the back of the line. Don't cut its rations. Put to death. It's as if whatever follows, we need to expect to be in metaphorical hand-to-hand combat. Wrestling, struggling. And he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put those things to death. Do you see the bubbling of immorality 
of greed, fight it. Put it to death because of what Jesus has done on the cross. 3.8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Because he has acted upon you and raised you, give yourself to get rid of these things. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self. Colossians 3.12, therefore, as God's chosen people, you see, that's what God has done at the cross, clothe yourselves and clothe yourselves, take off that sexual immorality, take off that greed, take off that impurity and clothe yourselves instead with compassion Kindness, humility, oh, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's our call is to live out our new identity because of what God has done in Christ. We're to live in different ways. There's a marvelous sermon. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd, it's a great sermon with a pretty straightforward concept. I'd encourage you to read it, but it's written by a fellow named Thomas Chalmers who lived um, 1780 to 1747. Um, the concept is simple, but his language, it's old Scots, it's deeply theological. You'd have to wrestle with it. It, it reads harder than an internet meme. But if you dig into it, it pays great dividends. And the thrust is this, let Christ's new life take root and replace your old inclinations. Replace your old inclinations. You know, at Heart of Wyke, we talk about the journey to be found in, formed by, and following Jesus. That journey takes time and effort, and it will put you in a different place. But part of that change will come about when the things that we value and worship in the world are put to death and the things that are given to us in Christ we value and love. You've got to have a powerful new love to push out the powerful old love. That's why I would never say to someone, go be good. You'd have to start by saying, go love something more than what you love right now that leads to your behaviors. Don't just go perform. You don't tell the alcoholic, stop drinking. I've had people that I'm counseling struggling with an addiction to pornography and their counselor will say, well, can't you just stop looking at the pictures? No, that's what an addiction is about. What you've got to do is take what your heart now loves and replace it with a more wonderful love to see Christ in that. You see, this replacing of the old with the new is the process of being found in, formed by, and following. It means it's going to reorder our loves. That's what idolatry is. Put these things to death, Paul says in Colossians 3.5, because they are idolatry. Root out all of those behaviors, all those things that we love and what they offer us, because they do offer something. But then we set our hearts and minds to the love of God. We replace the idols of the heart. Greed, a person at first finds a security and an affirmation in having things more than they find in God himself. What we need to do is set aside that love for a love of Christ. 
As long as we love and find our security in things, we will live to the desires of greed more than the wisdom of Jesus. The way to expel that greedy heart is to replace it with a heart and mind that receives what God offers as the better thing. There's a tool that I use in myself trying to identify the idols of my heart. I begin with a sentence like this. I would be happy. I, would, uh, I could rest or I could feel secure. And then I put the words, if only. So, I would be secure if only. Once I've assembled that, then almost anything that follows may well be an idol of the heart. I think that's what I need to be secure rather than what I have in Christ. Do you see the difference, how that works? If I could just have this, if only, that's how I identify the idols of my heart. You see, God wants to give us a more powerful and important identity. Paul speaks to this in verse 11. He says, here in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Ask yourself, maybe ask some honest people in your circle of relationships, what are the affiliations that the people around you use to explain or understand you? This party, that candidate, involved in this business? I mean, how often do we begin a conversation? Well, what's your business? What do you do? As if that identifies a person. Their occupation, perhaps what school you went to. Paul is calling us to think not so much about what I do, I'm a pastor, but what God has done. I'm a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king. That would drive a conversation in a different way. But that's my identity, a sinner saved by grace. Oh, I happen to work at a church right now, but that's come and gone too. You see, the deeper we go into our identity in Christ, the more I'll find the resources of Christ to live like him. And so it is that Paul will close this by saying, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other. How about if I were to contemporize that by saying, bear with Pastor Bill and forgive him. If any of you has a grievance against him, forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, that's what should mark the life of the resurrected Christ in the midst of his people. We bear with one another. We're different. We scrub and scratch and angle. You know, my idea of pastoring was pretty dramatically changed when I began to look at my own brokenness and sin and then realized, whoa, you take a hundred or more sinners and put them in one room, no wonder things happen and you need to learn to forgive. Paul doesn't say get even with one another, stonewall one another, or avoid them. He, he wants to call us to forgiveness. Another look at the language to better understand this pa passage in God's love for us. I've taught you before that there's three Greek words that we translate with a one word love. Real quickly, there's the word eros, which is what do I get? 
You know, I really loved my old Mazda Miata. I could take the top down and it did great things for me. I didn't realize how little hair there was to blow in the breeze. That's Eros and that's good. There's Phileo. We use that in the city Philadelphia. And it's what do we exchange? It's the love of friendship. It's good. Friends are good. But there's also agape, and that's what do I give? This is the love that God has for the world, for God so agaped. And I want to point you to forgiveness by God's grace as being a work of agape. Now, it's possible, and I hear churches that preach forgiveness as if it's about eros. Oh, if you forgive, you'll feel so much better. Oh, okay, just so long as I know what I get out of it, I'll consider it. Do you see the difference? It's possible to talk about forgiveness as if it were about phileo. Oh, if I forgive, then I'll have balanced relationships and friendships and everything is good. Those are fine and good things. But I want to tell you, the forgiveness that the Scripture points us to, that Paul is speaking of here, that we see embodied in Jesus at the cross, is a forgiveness based on agape. It means paying a price. Now, who in your circle of friendships will only be forgiven if you pay the cost? And how far does that reach and go out there? You see, friends, the agape forgiveness that you and I have received from Jesus becomes the resource from which you and I extend to others that kind of forgiveness. Grace empowers me to give what I did not deserve but now have, and I can give it to others who do not deserve. Who is that in your circle? What would that look like? You know, I've been a pastor for a number of years, and even in the church and in my own life, I observe a shortcoming in forgiveness. I've wept with parents who are cut off and estranged by a child who won't, won't forgive. I've heard of family gatherings where one brother comes early and heads off just in time for the other brother to arrive late. Two people get crossways and never speak but are still members of the same church. Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So often, even inside the circle of faith, we choose to avoid or to justify or to take up the offense of another person to support our own hardness of heart. What would it look like to forgive with agape love, forgiving others in the same way, with the same motivation that Jesus forgave us? It would be paying a price from the resources we've received by grace. I'll tell you a story about another shooting. Charles Roberts was not Amish, but he knew many Amish people. He had worked picking up milk from Amish farms and so for a time had daily interaction with the farmers and families who lived near him. One day when he backed his pickup truck to the one-room schoolhouse and walked in, it was 10.30 in the morning, Monday, October 2nd, 2006. He was not unknown to the children and to the adults inside. The next 40 minutes are traumatic to recount. You can find details elsewhere if you're inclined. 
but it's enough at this moment to say that before Roberts killed himself, he had killed five of 10 girls ages six to 13 that he'd held hostage and terrorized at gunpoint before shooting them at point blank range. One reporter called the event an Amish 9-11. The Amish families and communities suddenly traumatized as they were began the process of grieving and that grieving included extending forgiveness. I'll read just one account if I'm able. Amish community members visited and comforted Roberts's widow, his parents, and his parents-in-law. One Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms reportedly as long as an hour to comfort him. The Amish have also set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. About 30 members of the Amish community attended Robert's funeral, and Marie Roberts, the widow of the killer, was one of the few outsiders invited to the funeral of one of the victims. Paul writes to the new church in Colossae, and he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness that is based on agape love is how the Lord Jesus forgave me as well as you, as well as the one who offended or wounded you. Forgiveness that is based on agape love will always have a cost to be paid. It's not about you, it's not about the exchange. It's about extending and taking the price. The gospel of God's grace means that because I've been forgiven at the cost of the cross, being in Christ is my hope and the resource for me to pay the cost of forgiving others with agape love. Now, there's so much we ought to dig into here but can't. Agape forgiveness doesn't mean we ignore evil. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up for justice or ignore safety for us or our family or communities. We need to give our best efforts to making it safe for our children to go to their school or for people to go grocery shopping. But it also means that having been loved with God's agape, we bring a resource to our relationships, our decisions, and to the world. Jesus died to bring hope and transformation to the world that we live in. We can experience that and live that out right here each day. I want to close with a quick reflection on the gospel of God's grace. The gospel of God's grace means that the unloving, that the unlovely, sinners like me, have been loved. And because of that love, we can be made loving. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you have loved us. And so you have called us to live that love out in the world where we are, where there's real wounds, real fears, real frustrations. We thank you that in the midst of these, you empower us to live beyond our own ability. Walk with us together on this journey, day by day, discovering what it means to be found in Christ, to be formed by him and not the world, and then to follow him wherever he would lead. We make this prayer in the name of the risen Jesus, our only hope joy, and Savior. For we pray in his name and God's people said together, amen, amen. Uh, hymn number 540.
Holy God, we praise your name. It is the God who has rescued us that we give praise to. Stand as you're able. receive the benediction, the the blessing from Paul's letter as well in Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.